Hello everybody and welcome to this week's Being Human interview with me, David Flynn. And um, this week we've got the amazing Nicole Yershon, founder and CEO of the, is it the New York Collective? No, they're my initials, Nicole Yershon. <laughs> That's completely confused me. <laughs> She's one of, this is why I'm not one of Drum's 25 women who shaped the digital industry in the last 25 years. <laughs> And Wired Magazine's Top 100, um, that was the first annual survey of British di digital power brokers. She was the founder of Ogilvy Labs and is the best-selling author, Rough Diamonds, Turning Disruption into an Advantage in Business and Life. So, just a few of the clients she's worked with, the many, many, many clients she's worked with over the years, are Havas, Amex, IBM, Ravensbourne, BP, London Business School, Accenture, and she's also sort of on one of those women that's on the board of everything or judging everything. And that feels pretty amazing. So <laughs> where should we start? You tell me a bit, because I know this story, actually. How did you get started in the industry? Say that again. I lost you for a second. How did you get started in the industry? Um, I was... In, in the olden days, um, what you did was you wrote letters to a hundred um, top agencies and that there was a magazine and uh, called campaign that showed you the hundred top creative agencies advertising agencies and I wrote letters to a hundred of them and can you hear me yeah sure I wrote letters to a hundred of them and then I got maybe um, 20 replies and out of those 20 replies I got two saying come in for an interview and out of those two interviews I got a job so amazing did you did you study did you go straight from school how did that work weirdly enough I went to a finishing school I think my parents wanted to um to smooth the diamond the, the rough diamond um a little bit and so within there there was um I think I got a job at um a company called Dorland Advertising at the time and I was there for a year before then writing letters to 100. And I, I did secretarial skills. So Pittman shorthand. And I mean, I'm really going back, really showing my age. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, God, you can type properly, though. That's one of the few people. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I, I'm quick. I'd like 120 words a minute or something. Amazing. So mm. really digital, what, what were the first, you know, because you really, I always think of you as an expert in the digital space. How did you yeah. start? come into the digital space and what was your role and why were you excited about it what happened there so I had so working within advertising over um, many years I had a reputation of being a fixer almost like the Harvey Keitel you know want something done ask a busy person and um, and in doing that people just used to say can you do this can you do that that weren't anything to do with the job that I was actually doing and then I get a phone call in 2000 from the chairman of Ogilvy, who was also chairman of a company that I was at previously. And he just said, I'm working um, I'm at Ogilvy, but it's like working at the civil service. It's so much paper and, and analog. And I, I'm, you know, in 2000, he gave me a brief to bring Ogilvy into the 21st century and uh, turn them really from um, an analog world to a digital world. In the early days, it was business transformation. It was um, looking, doing an audit and seeing, uh, you know, how could, how could they automate 
a lot of the work that they were doing. So that's what I did and implemented in the first few years. Right. And so what was it that you found exciting at the start of digital? Could you see how it was going to go, how it was going to take over? Yeah, I started to. So being at Ogilvy and implementing those systems, digital systems, moving them from obviously paper to 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 systems, I started to see all these other things cropping up. So I'm now talking about 2003 and there were things like Facebook or or mobile or gaming or social or AI or VR or big data behavior change. All these things were popping up and I was really excited about them. And I remember sending a note around to Ogilvy staff, like however, 2000 people saying, um, oh, there's something called Facebook. You guys really need to pay attention. And a few people sent me a note back saying, stop spamming me, because I was getting all excited about all these things. And everybody else just wanted to carry on doing the day job. Not everyone, but most. So when did you really start to feel the change, you know, this sort of big oil tanker turning around of the advertising industry? Because you're very much at the heart of the ad industry there. Yeah, I would say the ad agency, I never managed, I never felt that I I could um, work with them on digital. They were still hell-bent and their business model was hell-bent on doing traditional stuff because that's how they got paid um, very handsomely to solve the wrong problem really well, as my partner kind of, as a really nice saying that he has. Um, so I worked much more with the with Ogilvy One and the um, what they used to call below the line advertising, who used to do CRM and and they were much more familiar with data and they kind of took to digital really quickly. So I worked more with them because Ogilvy had ten group companies at the time and I worked across all of them. I was able to pick and choose who were the ones that were most um, curious. And, and wanted to do the interesting things that I was seeing that was out there and bringing back in. So when was it that you sort of started to realise that on top of the data, there was such a big creative role for digital and innovation? Well, um, I used to, I'd set up what was called semesters of learning, which um, was six months intense learning on one particular topic. So I would do six months learning on streaming media. You mean you did that um, for yourself in your own life? It, it was for myself and for the organisation and for the organisation to to teach their clients that there was this whole world called streaming media for six months, literally, go to any event where we knew no one and nothing. And we would bring that learning back to the client. And it was more than just learning. We then attached it to business. So we would see who was out there in streaming media, say, for the first um Every other week, we would see 10 to 15 different companies in that space. Then we would find a client that had a problem. It was Ford at the time who mainly did TV, but we'd managed to convince them because the chairman wanted to speak to all his staff. And that was 22,000 desktops in 19 countries in five languages. So I then convinced the TV department who said, oh, no, we don't do live streams or streaming. We do TV. And I said, not anymore. So we then, part of the semester is implementing that change. So you see who is out there, you attach it to business, you implement the idea with a new streaming partner that you found. And then at the um, end of the semester, 
you you pull together a, a lab day for 500 people with all of that learning so speakers speaking exhibitors exhibiting and we did those semesters to a year for 15 years so that was how we kind of infiltrated all this new creative amazing stuff not just learning about it but then creatives coming up with an idea to fix a client's problem and then implementing it so it was giving Ogilvy a different business model that Ogilvy now don't just do TV and print, but they now do augmented reality or mobile or gaming or whatever the semester was, something would come out of it and then be awarded because that was another measure of success. Um, and that's how we kind of move forward. So the first couple of years, uh, first year, not much happened, but it was a long term strategy. And if you've got someone who's a visionary and a long-term thinker, then 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 you're you know you you can have great fun. And so, did these semesters? Is that what became the innovation lab, or was it an integral part of the? It was the integral part of it. It was how to innovate within an organisation. Right. So, can you just tell us a little bit more about the innovation lab and the sort of work you were doing there? Yeah. So we would. So the semesters obviously were key. But there was also a physical space. So what I'd, I'd done was I'd, because I wasn't giving any, given any money to do this lab. So I took one of the meeting rooms. So therefore I didn't have to pay, um, for space for the physical lab because it was a meeting room. So therefore it was under the operations manager. And we took this meeting room. We, we called it a lab and we had everything in there that you could imagine from 3D printers to, um, um, augmented reality on the screens to the latest thing in retail to Microsoft Surface tables. You know, I'm just going by memory of all these different amazing things. So we would bring clients into that meeting room and we would showcase to them the art of the possible. So that was a really kind of key ingredient of the labs was the physical space. Then there was obviously the learning space um, and also it was the ability to make something happen that had never been done before. So it was an experimentation space. And what I would do is when we were doing a semester, I'd say, who's interested in big data to 2000 people across the group and people would put their hands up and they would then be part of the lab and the learning and the sharing. So you sort of created your own role in innovation there within quite an established old fashioned, I might say company as, as yeah move it into the digital age yeah it was because I was given such an open brief by the by leadership by the chairman at the time and the CEO at the time and I was just able to leverage because I'm the power of doing and not just talking I was able to leverage um doing all these different things and allowed to be I guess a um uh, a maverick but also a um an alchemist because I would make things happen that weren't there before or I would spot things that needed to happen so we did a diversity and inclusion program called the rough diamond program in you know 2004 2005 with Ravensbourne uh, University School Communication Arts in getting people in 14 to 16 year olds who are about to be expelled from school we, those are the ones we wanted because I was fed up that Ogilvy were constantly hiring the same types of people, white, middle class, Oxford educated, and expecting a change in thinking. Right. And the only thinking was diverse thinking from people who'd had a very, very different background. 
Yeah. So did that form the book, that work? Yeah, that's that's why I, I named the book Rough Diamond off the back of the Rough Diamond program. But no, the book is mainly around um, turning disruption into advantage. So in business and in life. So it, it goes to a lot of stories of trying to make things happen that everyone says, no, it can't or it won't or you've got no money. or So it's how to get over each of those hurdles all the time. Um, and how to collaborate and work with people on things that you don't even know how to make these things happen because they've never been done before um, and not be scared. But it also goes into life uh, when shit hits the fan with, you know, my mother being diagnosed with terminal cancer and the lab being closed down and getting divorced. It also then goes into um, disruption in life too. So give us... Give us the highlights from the book. How do you approach that? Let's let's focus outside of work for a minute, just on the life stuff. Mm. What are you writing about in that book, if you want to explain it to us? Yeah, I'm I'm writing about uh, life disruptions um, and that you've never been through before and you don't think you're going to get through it and how you do get through it or can get through it with resilience and, um, you know, all the, the things that you hear um in in lots of people's day-to-day lives of, of courage and fearlessness and and just keep moving one step forward and um I'd had a really unbelievable cotton walled upbringing in terms of you know I was with the same guy for 30 years from when I was 14 and privileged um upbringing and but a very strong work ethic and obviously, when all that crumbled, it was I, I couldn't I didn't know there was a light at the end of the tunnel because I'd never experienced it. So it goes into quite heavy detail and, and detail also within business of people saying no or that can't be done and how you go about it anyway. Right. And what would you say are the key ways that you do that? You've mentioned resilience, bravery. How do you develop I, those skills? I think a strong sense of self. And I think also I always was curious. And so even with things like um, emotional intelligence, I was conscious that I was running a team within the labs. And um, I really hated the old fashioned HR way of do a 360 review and then let people know what they're what they need to get better at. And I thought, well, maybe they're never going to be good at that. Why don't we look at what they're good at and make them better at what they're good at? And that should make them happier. So we used to do emotional intelligence reviews rather than HR, you know, the stuff that comes down through the process of running a company. I would always look at maybe there's another way or question it um, and then find not just question it and do nothing, question it and find another way. Right. So then that, I guess, brought you to setting up your own collective now. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with that? Yeah. So the collective now is is a is a, a, a such a mix of things because I'm, as Elon Musk would call, an expert generalist. <laughs> so, um, you know, I kind of know enough to be dangerous or I, I'm a super connector. I connect dots and I make things happen. So the collective is is a bunch of companies that I can pull upon over all of those years of having a, such a rich, beautiful black book of of partners. And so I'm working at the moment with um, a startup 
which is is really interesting, where I'm acting as a conductor. So I'm pulling in the right companies and the right people, depending on what it is that they need doing. Um, so I'm, I'm working with a company to develop a virtual uh, lab environment because obviously the physical lab space environment obviously can't work right now. I've done work with uh, the Young Vic in centering in setting up a mentorship program. Right. Well, tell us um, more about that. I think I've benefited from that. <laughs> well, I went to a was, at the Young Vic where we were um, hooked up with some set directors. Is that you? No, no. Mine was um, I was mentoring the mentors right. to then mentor mentees. Okay. So it was. So they've got the the most amazing batch of mentors right now. Um, then they've had all these mentees sign up, and it was literally kind of I guess training the trainers. So that was really fulfilling because that I learned so much from them. That's the beauty with mentoring, isn't it? Is that you learn from them and they learn from you. Yeah. So that was at the beginning of the year for about six weeks. And um, again, you know, I I get a phone call based on people recommending me or if it's something not quite the norm. And they say, oh, why don't you speak to Nicole? Probably most of the time to pick my brains because I know so many people. Um, then it then I just work out, am I the best person or is this someone else the best person? And then try and help. So um, you're working not only in advertising now, but across tech startups, the arts, which area yeah. do you find the most exciting? Or do you, like you said, you're a generalist, an expert generalist, and you love it all? Uh, the most exciting are when you're working with decent people. So I don't care what area it is. It's not that I want to say, oh, I'm working with IBM. It would be I'm working with John, who just so happens to be at IBM. It, it is all to do with the people um because then it doesn't do my head in with um politics and uh thinking about what should I write or what shouldn't I write I, I can just be myself and be honest and open and collaborative to and where we all want the same thing right that's cool so um in amongst all of this We've obviously seen, um, because we've been working in the digital space for quite a while, such enormous changes that just keep happening and keep happening mm. quicker and quicker. What do you find the most exciting things happening now in innovation in the digital space? Well, I think it's really, it's amazing, isn't it? I've been working virtually pretty much for since I, I stopped uh, um, in working in corporate life at Ogilvy. And, and not having an office and being able to work from anywhere because technology has allowed it. I find it so exciting that now all of a sudden, because of COVID, the whole world has had to then start to think different, differently and to think, well, maybe it doesn't have to be done in the way it's always been done. That then gets away from micromanagers who used to say, I want to see you in your office and I want to see everyone at their desk and you'd be frightened to leave before a certain time. That's all stopped. I know exactly what you mean. I feel as though I've been always worked from a laptop. <laughs> yeah. It just feels like everybody's now doing it, you know, with the exception of being barred from cafes. Various cafes have been my office for forever, really. Yeah. That's yeah. Or an thing. But then there's all the things that pop up to cope with that, like Lunch Club. I've been really enjoying Lunch Club, which right. has been 
quite serendipitous with meeting some really lovely people that you obviously because you're not going out for coffees and having those serendipitous meetings um the ai that it's pairing you with has i thought has been um quite interesting and novel and there's been lots of things that i've been able to do because of covid so and that whole covid time has been interesting because i've set up something called regrease which is going to be happening in September, which is I'd noticed at the beginning of lockdown, me and a couple of friends, that people were being made redundant or within the creative communities leaving and feeling rubbish about themselves and don't know what their next step is or feeling that they're on the, you know, on the trash heap. And regrease is, is meant to, to allow them to regenerate, refuel in seven days in Athens, Naxos and Mykonos. Now, we would never have put that together um, as a start. What a come. <laughs> I'll send you the details. That's really good. Yeah. So what are you, you've mentioned briefly what you are working on at the moment, but what would be your ideal project for your collective moving forward now, or are you just completely open to whatever arrives? I'm always open to anything. That's the beauty of, of not knowing what the next day is going to bring. Um, I, 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 I never turn anything down. I'm always, if I can't do it, I'll know someone who can do it. And I'll always try to, I can't help but connect. It gives me a really lovely, fuzzy feeling. So, and I'm open to, I'm open to just working with good people. I, I mean, it really is. It's not the brand or the genre or the, the area. It just is when you get to a certain age, I think especially, you know what good feels like. Right. And it, you're not staying up all hours or, you know, pained into the night and can't sleep because you're stressed about something because you're with a group of people and you're all in it together to fix it. That's right. And it sounds as though a lot of the work that you're doing now, it's using digital in a way that is inclusive, that gives back, that allows and supports diversity. And that's, in a way, it's that innovation. Sometimes I think it's thought of almost as a technical thing, but it sounds that yours is more an almost psychological or physical approach to innovation. Well, I think everything everything is digital. So all I'm doing is I'm just uh, moving forward to the least resistance so I'm curious enough to find well what else is out there and then um embrace it and know that it's going to be painful for a couple of months and I and I don't like it like even learning things like base camp or I don't know I'm trying to think of of, of other things that I've had to learn I was doing some stuff for my brother and I had to learn Facebook manager and um and doing ads on Facebook and I just knew I wanted to transport myself two months from now and then it will feel normal. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, uh, someone asked me that question, um, I think it was yesterday, I was on an Ada's List event and they said, how technical are you? And I thought, me 20 years ago would think me now was amazingly technical. Yeah. Very hands-on because we all are, right? It's a relative concept, isn't it, really? Or we know someone that knows more than us. So we don't have to be the, you know, the uber tech. We just need to have an understanding of how it works. And that's how, why the semesters were so good, because I could really get to grips with people who were talking to me about AR, for instance, and who knew much more than me. But I just needed to know enough to be dangerous, to know what it could do. Absolutely. 
Have you thought about setting up those semesters outside of Ogilvy? Because they sound amazing. I'm talking to someone about doing uh, one for them, so a client that um, I'm potentially uh, starting with semesters for them. So uh, yeah, it's it, it's still it's just the wording, isn't it? People call it lots of different things, but I think it needs to whatever it is that I do needs to come uh, with um, with a, a leader that wants change that doesn't just say, oh, I really need to innovate at the core of this organisation. And you start to say what you need to do. And they say, oh, no, we don't want to do that. That's business transformation. Right. But to innovate and to do all of these things, it it is business transformation because you're doing something new that you hadn't done before. Right. And so moving forward, if you had to give advice to women entering the industry now, the tech industries in particular, I think, and the advertising industries. But let's focus a bit more on the tech side. Um, what would your advice be? Um, you don't have to be perfect at something. You just need to know the right people to work with who know more than you. So if you understand yourself well, work on yourself um, and know that in your heart that um, that's the best that you're doing, and know that you can't, you know, know your, your strengths and know your weaknesses, then you know that your weaknesses will be someone else's strengths and feel comfortable enough and confident enough to bring them into the mix to really, truly collaborate. So thank you so much. It's been lovely talking to you. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, where's the best place to go? Could you just tell us the website or your LinkedIn? Yeah, I mean, the, the beautiful thing about my name, and I have to thank my parents with SEO, is that there's only one me. <laughs> so they have to Google Nicole Yershon, and then you'll see Twitter, Insta. It's all under my net one name. So um, my website is my name, NicoleYershon.com. The company's called The NY Collective. But uh, like with anything, just, yeah, just uh, if you want to find me, I'm there for the picking. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. Lovely to talk to you and take care. Thank you. Thank you, Kahina. It's been a pleasure.